Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to Macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder today. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Joe Minardi. We have with us now Vogue's resident movie critic. Taylor, we're so excited to have you here. Can you remind us who you are? I am Taylor Antrim. I'm the deputy editor of Vogue, and um, I oversee features. What qualifies you to speak about the Cannes Film Festival? Uh, not much. <laughs> I was not there. Uh, I do write about film uh, for the magazine and the website. What Hard were pivot. the big uh, Cannes moments, Taylor? Watching Cannes from afar is um, – it, it feels like the most appropriate experience because so much is made of this film festival. You would think it was like Disney World, the Met Ball, like everything rolled in one. And yet you look at the films, which if you care about movies, which I do, as you guys know, the movies are like wonderful, but like crazy esoteric. I mean, we have like a four and a half hour Steve McQueen film about Amsterdam during the German occupation. I mean, name wow. 12 really? people. Really? Name 12 people who are going to go see Surprised he's making that movie. But everyone is riveted by a picture of Lily Rose Depp Smoking a cigarette right, before she yeah. gets into her car, right? Yeah, we, In Couture. Covered that a lot. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. So, so the problem there is that oh, – yeah, you talked about this on your, on your pod. This, this is where I learned things. My, my dinner party conversation comes from listening to you guys. So I'm like, did you know that if you smoke a cigarette – in a vintage dress. <laughs> the internet will get verboten. They're going to come for you. Um, yeah, so it's just like quintessentially high-low. You've got the Indiana Jones of it all. The the. Um, I'm the sorry. Is, is Harrison Ford in that? 80? Is he in that? Well, I don't know, but it just seems crazy to me. How old is he? <laughs> there goes my theory that everyone pays attention to everything comes out of Cannes. <laughs> uh, he's definitely in that. He's yeah. 80. He wow. wept at Cannes out of like a fit of nostalgia about his youth, his lost youth, one might say. But um, a, a mini controversy that came out of it, apart from the fact that the movie apparently is quite bad, mm-hmm. they de-age him. Just like no, in the last don't. Scorsese movie, they were de-aging Ooh. Robert De Niro. And I think the huh. t- the take on the streets is enough with the de-aging already. Yeah. Okay. But we don't care when they age people. We're all for aging. What we're not for is de-aging. 
Like I we see. love an 80-year-old Harrison Ford weeping I mean, on the I think carpet. all the plastic surgeons of the Upper East Side would beg to differ, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Thiel of it all is, yeah. is saying, yeah. de-age me, please. For a f- film-interested person such as yourself, what are the main takeaways of movies we're excited about that are going to set the cultural tone for this year? Yes. So I have three that I'm really excited about. Okay. And um, it is really a showcase for art house movies and movies that are for quite a niche audience. But, you know, some of them really break through. I mean, you know, think about Parasite, which was a Cannes film that um, won the Academy Award. Mm. This year, the Palme d'Or was won um, by a French film called The Anatomy of the Fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall, which I'm very excited to see. And – I would like you to hold on to your hats for the big film trend of the year, which is French courtroom dramas. Oof. Are you, are you okay. ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't know if you all saw that um, wonderful Alice Diop film, Sent I want to watch that. I've got it on my list. Yeah, so that, that's another courtroom drama. That's a French courtroom drama. Okay. And I feel like that set the tone because you get, you put the French onto a courtroom drama and it's not Aaron Sorkin. This is like some highly esoteric, like intellectual, you know, courtroom Oof. dramatics. And, Sorkin deep cut. <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> Did Justine Treat Triette? Good call. Did she win? Yeah, she's the director. And but I mean, did she? Uh, isn't doesn't the director get a separate Palme d'Or? Yeah, but she did not win that. Oh, okay. uh, but her <laughs> film won the Palme d'Or, and she's the third woman in history to win win wow. the Palme d'Or. That was Julia Ducournau in 2021 for a almost unwatchable film called Titan. What were the big like the potential blockbuster movies at Cannes? Right, you're already bored by my three esoteric I'm picks. I'm done with Court yeah. of France. <laughs> no, no, you've got you've got Martin Scorsese with uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, or as you called it, Flowers of the Killer Moon. <laughs> I still even saying it, I wasn't sure which it was, but it's um, three and a half hours of Leonardo DiCaprio, and you know, um, but isn't the Lily, young woman Lily in it Gladstone going to be the in, big thing? In, in, in Valentino made a star. I thought she looked great. Um, and then uh, Wes Anderson had a new movie. Everyone's uh, excited Asteroid about. City. Right. Which I think looks a little middling, to be honest. So that brings me to my second pick. I'm forging ahead with my own agenda here, Chloe, mm-hmm. uh, which is Todd Haynes. And Todd Haynes Love was Todd back. Haynes. Yes. He was back with a film called May, December, which looks absolutely delightful. I um, myself had fallen off a bit with Todd Haynes. I remember really loving um, – Far From Heaven? Yeah, that, that's the one. That's a great <laughs> movie. But I'd fallen off a bit with him and I'm excited to see this one, May, December. So it stars Julianne Moore who uh, in her 30s had a inappropriate sexual relationship with a 13-year-old boy. And Natalie Portman plays an actress who is coming to interview her to play her in a, in a film. And it sounds – it's basically about – you know, tabloid culture. Um, and my third would be the um, filmmaker, British filmmaker Jonathan Glazer, hasn't made a movie for a decade. And he's back with a film called The Zone of Interest, which is mm. set at Auschwitz and is based on a novel by the late Martin Amis, who we're all still mourning. Trauma's not a huge fan. No, oh, but, yes, I heard this. No, I know. I just never got into it. I, well, That's fair. Don't there was be one of, what, a holiday and somebody put, I read so many, tried so many of his books and couldn't get into it. But. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a bit of, he's a bit of a taste. Anyway, this is one of his late novels, and it was um, a very divisive novel. And the movie is dividing critics too. I mean, it won the second place prize at Cannes. Um, but I was just reading Manola Dargis in the New York Times, who said um, who had very not, uh, not so nice things to say about the movie. So Jonathan hmm. Glazer, you would know him from Under the Skin, which okay. is when Scarlett Johansson played like an oh yeah, alien. I remember that one. Very bizarre, right? Yeah, that was a bizarre movie. Definitely a mood piece. Um, and Sexy Beast was his first oh, film. Oh, cool. I love that film. Super cool film. Yeah. So anyway, I'm really excited for that. So those are three. 
May, okay. December, Zone of Interest, and Anatomy of the Fall. Okay. And then The Idol also premiered. Oh, thank oh, yeah, you for bringing Idol. up The Idol. Yeah, we're, that's, that's going to be on HBO like tomorrow. This week. Yeah. I mean, apparently that's the thing we're all supposed to console ourselves with after the end of Succession oh, no. is watching oh, The Idol. God. Oh, no, it's I'm supposed not, to be no. terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah, it looks terrible. It looks terrible. <laughs> oh, no. But they showed Sunday two episodes. Sunday nights are not the same. Never yeah. the same. <laughs> they showed two episodes of Can, and I would say the reception was lukewarm. I best. see. I um, see. But this could be a show that no matter how it's received, everyone's going to watch it. That's probably true. What are you going to watch if you're not watching Succession now, now that you're not watching Succession? I'm back to Miss Marple. <laughs> <laughs> As if you ever left. Um, how do we all feel about the end of Succession? What I thought was so, like, right and inevitable about it was that in the final episode, none of the Roy children got the job. Tom Wamsgams, how do you say his last name? Yeah. Uh, got the job. <laughs> I feel really bad for Shiv. I'm sort of emotionally invested in her. So explain that to me. Was there, like, really? a thing on social a media bit. about, like, Shiv was done dirty by this yeah, show? I mean, I felt like she, out of all the siblings, just seemed like to sort of had some common sense and felt it just felt like such a a narrative for the woman to be completely fucked she over. Won. In How my, did she win? Well, How she's in the she car win? with the CEO of the three. She came out the t- closest still, to the top. I mean, Roman and Kendall she, are nowhere at the end of that show. No, you're right. I didn't. I she's guess in the I car with the new but CEO. But the way she puts her hand on. In his hand, it doesn't feel like it was a that feels like a choice she didn't want to make. She sort of had to be, I don't know. I, I don't think know. that if you flip their genders and Shiv had been given the CEO role and yeah. Tom had saved it somehow because he knew he could control her and they were driving out in that car together, you'd be like, oh, he nailed it. He won't. Right. He, but but I, can he? Can she control him? I think she can. I think she's much smarter than him. Yeah, and she he, is way smarter than him. The thing that I didn't fully understand, we were talking about Shiv, in that moment where she can't bring herself to vote for yeah. um, her brother Kendall, is what was going through her head. And I really turned it over in the moment as I was watching. I was like, you know, what is the sticking point for her? Mm-hmm. Is it her thinking, well, if I throw my lot in with my, you know, estranged husband – uh, father of my unborn child, can I make off, you know, uh, with some piece of this, you know, future company? Or is it just that, like, she could not bear to see her brother behind the desk of her father? I think it was, it was more premeditated. You I do? Think, yeah. You think so it was more premeditated? I thought it was more the latter, and that maybe speaks to yeah, the thing you were talking about, was, where I, I thought it was a human okay. moment. She just could not stomach it. Yeah. We may you never know? know. What the, was your fashion take? I mean, so the last episode, the thing that the the one thing that actually my boyfriend noticed in the which stopped us from being transfixed by the whole thing was the fact that Madsen was wearing a turtleneck, and he asked me, "What do you think of that look?" (laughs) And you said, "I said never wear that. (laughs) That's horrible." (laughs) So we had a long debate about. Turtlenecks. Men and, and turtlenecks. Yeah, and then it just made me think of Elizabeth Holmes and her sort of creepy CEO. Turtleneck is a very weighted outfit for a tech CEO. Yeah, for sure. it's like a bad, it's such a, and I thought it was really interesting that they chose that look. Um, Choma, I saw a picture of an Iranian model who wore a dress at Ken that was a noose around her neck. Yeah, and I think people are quite upset. I mean, some people are supporting the moment, obviously, because. It's a it's a huge political statement, and she's drawing attention to the situation in Iran. Calling an end to the executions right. triggered by the wave of protests. Right, right. The problem is about making political statements on the red carpet is generally the fashion is never that great. But 
you know, I mean, you get the attention. So I feel conflicted about it. I think it's sort of a really... We're going to see more of it, right? I mean, I also note the Ukrainian there are ways to influencer do it feel, who poured yeah. blood on herself. Right? Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I guess it gets people. Not nothing does tame. Does get people talking about nothing it? Nothing tame will get people talking. It does. People were talking about the news. A personal promotion ploy. It's not a personal promotion ploy, but to bring attention to, uh, unless you're a really high level uh, celebrity and you are wearing a pin and you can talk about the pin, and maybe right. someone will pick it up and mention it. So, uh, no thoughts on the debt ceiling? (laughs) (laughs) Super run-through. Are we going to get this through Congress, guys? (laughs) What are they going to (laughs) wear? What are they going to wear at the signing? (laughs) Navy, black, what what color pins? (laughs) Thank you, Taylor. (laughs) We're we're, we're good. (laughs) Always happy to be here, guys. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Later in the show, we have a conversation with Lauren Santo Domingo. And if you haven't ever seen her on Instagram, then let me just say. She's a real friend of Vogue. She's a real friend of Vogue. I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are familiar with her or some of her red carpet ensembles. Yeah, and she actually she's really good at Instagram, too. She's funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has the best style, but she's also best caption game, I think. (laughs) It's it's an important element. Yeah. So she she founded Modo Operandi, which Mm -hmm. is that... After working at Vogue. After working at Vogue, and was recently appointed the artistic director of Tiffany Home Collection, which is a big deal. Well, and she's also a legendary hostess herself. And so we chatted with her about sort of summer hostessing, gifts to bring, also her closet. She's been doing an intensive closet reorganization, and uh, she has a very strict closet rule that you'll hear about later. Yeah, she certainly does. <laughs> but before we get to that, we are heading to Brazil. That's right. <laughs> this evening, the Carolina Herrera Resort Show is taking place in Rio de Janeiro. Yes, I promise never to use that accent again. <laughs> and, you know, we were lucky enough to have the creative director of Carolina Herrera, Wes Gordon, here in the studio just before he was jetting off to Brazil. No, the boy from Ipanema. He's yes. actually from Atlanta. But anyway, <laughs> he, was, he was en route. <laughs> he was en route. And he, he came in with all the boards, the boards being all the looks of his collection, which looks super colorful. So I think we're in for a treat tonight. And it was fun to chat with him. And he's also a young new dad. He has a two-month-old baby girl, Georgia, and his son, Henry, is turning two next week. Um, Wes and I both have uh, homes in northwest Connecticut, and Wes's farm up there is really something to behold. It is like the Disney version (laughs) of the farm you dream of. I have to remind my three-year-old, I was like, most farms don't look like this. Don't get used to this. Like, the chicken coop is just beautiful. The eggs are gorgeous. (laughs) Moving to the chicken coop. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, here's Wes. Welcome, Wes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Would you, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Wes Gordon, and I am the creative director of Carolina Herrera. And we have you, we have you in the studio on the brink of a very big trip. Aren't you headed to Rio? I am headed to Rio Friday evening for a couple of firsts. It's the first time that Carolina Herrera is doing a pre-collection runway show, and it's also oh. the first time we're doing a destination show. So... You know, so for a 40-year-old company, that's quite a big shift in the, in the schedule, and um, we're very excited about it. Tell us why. Well, 
first of all, I think it's it's the resort collection, right? And the resort season has become so important to us as a brand. Uh, you know, we, we stage, we will forever stage our spring and fall shows in New York, and we're a proud part of New York Fashion Week. But our biggest season for business for the company is resort. I always, as a designer, feel like we're a beautiful moment to just have a conversation with the customer, right? And really think about clothes that she wants to wear. I'm still wondering how we get to Rio. Like, You've always just done a lookbook. It's always just been photographs. You're all sitting like the kitchen cabinet, powers that be at Herrera are sitting in a room together. And you're like, one, I think we should stage a show. Two, I think it should be in South America. Three, I've always dreamed of Rio. Or are there other elements that are There are other elements. I think – Like are they a particularly big market? The company has been growing amazingly. So so really it's – you know, each year we're, we're achieving amazing growth milestones. And the collection's becoming more and more international in our distribution and in our clientele. And something that's so special about Herrera is that it's it's a global fashion brand, but it's also a global accessories, beauty, and fragrance brand. So we have a lot of different rooms of our house or members of our family. And tell me, <laughs> where in Rio? What's the do- what's the plan? We're doing a couple days. Okay. We're doing a few, you know, kind of basing out of the Copacabana. And the actual show will take place uh, around sunset at a beautiful private residence um, up on top of the hill. Nice. Overlooking the water. We're building an outdoor runway. Oh, my gosh. And how are you casting the show? Is it is it going to be Brazilian models? Entirely. Every model is Brazilian. Amazing. So I love that. I mean, lots cast- to choose from there. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's yes, we're doing all local casting and we're committing to doing that and we would do that whatever venue we were going to. I think that it, it, the Herrera that... that I've worked on over the past five years is about color and joy and joy of life and optimism and this kind of one foot in a, a kind of a Latin heritage and one foot on 7th Avenue in New York. And and my dream of Rio, this idea and aura of Rio is very much an embodiment of all of those ideals. And this collection, I really wanted to kind of blur the line between what's casual and what's dressy, what's day, what's evening. Because I think the a- answer for at Herrera is that it doesn't really matter as long as it's fabulous and that you feel great wearing it. Um, so we're actually bringing a lot of the atelier to Rio. We're setting up an atelier. In oh Rio. my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're doing all Are our looks, all we're doing fittings. Super excited! Everyone's so excited. I um, I overheard a meeting earlier today that I I, I couldn't join for all the people going to Rio, and they were practicing Portuguese, oh. um, some like basic Portuguese phrases. Love that. <laughs> That's amazing. So the collection itself, is it inspired by Brazil or what? how did you think put this collection together differently knowing that it was going to have such a big platform, be on the runway? I was really focused on an ease to the collection and, you know, what I said earlier, this idea that it's kind of turning upside down the idea of what's dressed up and what's casual, playing with proportions a little bit, shirts get a little bigger, things get a little more relaxed and slouchy. Um, and then also simultaneously taking everything closer to the body and just mm. going a little more sensual with the collection, a little more body con. Mm. Um, it's it coming feels off like of, that mood's in the air, doesn't it? It's definitely in the air. I feel mm. like it's kind of late 90s kind of mood. Um, but I found myself in fittings just stripping away um, and just that very vibrant color palette that, that when the Pantones are all lined up on the wall, read like the sunset over the water in Rio. Can nice. we see them? Um, yeah, if I have them here. I don't know what's in this mystery packet Jody handed me. Oh, no color palette. <laughs> well, these are all the looks, no? Yeah, but okay, let me preface this by saying 
These are uh, more looks than we will have. This will ed- get be edited down. Wow. This is not in a proper order. This is grouped by fabric. So <laughs> because we had to ship the clothes six weeks early. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah this must have been a nightmare for production. Crazy. It was the week before Met. Oh, wow. We had wow. to ship 80 looks to Rio. Yikes. Wow. I know. So a real achievement by the whole atelier. Bill. Yeah, so how long? I'm are you working. good at editing? Are you good at stripping back? Or do you need help? Um, <laughs> well, so the normal life cycle of a collection is you have a room full of samples. You work with your stylist. You make X number of looks. You know, and then as you do your fittings and you have the real girls come in, each model, each woman is becomes a little bit of a different character. And sometimes a look you had planned to be a, a key look in the show just doesn't quite fit with one of the girls. And this different woman starts emerging, this different narrative starts emerging as you're doing the fittings, which are so important because it's it's the actress, right? Like the rest are kind of costumes. That's interesting. So we haven't had an opportunity to do that. So in a way, these are like all the tools in my toolbox. Um, and I, I predict this like 80-ish number will become like 70-ish. That's not to say pretty close then. Yeah, pretty yeah. close. Yeah, but I had to have my options there, you know? Right. Can you describe for the people who are listening yes. what you're looking at right now and what we're talking about, this sheet right. of paper? So the piece of paper I unfolded <laughs> that I gave a very long um, explanation for is a picture of a large board that's in our office of photos. That's that's every look. So Every look in the show and then some. You you work for three months making hundreds of different things. You have them all in one big room. And then you work very hard for a couple of days just nonstop trying iterations and combinations of different things. And when you find one that, like, feels right, you, you take a picture of it and you pin it to the board. And then um, I remember when I first started as a designer, I'd be so nervous that – I wouldn't have enough looks to do a show, that all those pieces somehow wouldn't come together, that the puzzle pieces wouldn't fit. And I'd have made all these pieces and end up with like five looks and I needed 50. Now my concern is more the opposite, that we need to edit it down. But yeah, so that's what we're looking at as a board of 81 looks, including three menswear looks, which we've never done before. Oh, wow. Wow. In 2018, you took over as creative director for Carolina Herrera. Do you ever miss the West Gordon brand? Do you ever miss the West Gordon brand? No. I mean, listen, I had the best time doing it. I did it for eight years, which— It's a long time. A long time. I tell people this. I'm like, fashion is dog years. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, I know. So multiply it by seven, right? How, however long you've worked you maintained in it for the that. industry. That's great. It's tough. Yeah, it's it's, it's tough, and it's really hard to be an independent small fashion brand. Mm. Um, but I learned so much. It was amazing. You know, we did a lot of amazing things, and it really prepared me for what came next— um, so, you know, after doing it eight years, Mrs. Herrera was you know, thinking about retiring. I got a call to go there and consult for her for one year. So I spent a year with her side by side. And after that, she officially stepped down. She took a bow after her last show. And it's been five years. What was it like showing your designs to her for the first time? Were you nervous? I, w- I was nervous um, Less of showing the designs because I wasn't showing designs. I was showing her kind of more mood boards, and I'd already met with several people prior to that. This was kind of the last the last meeting. I got the phone call about it from the now president of Herrera, Emily, who's great. Um, Emily, if you're listening, you're amazing. Rubenfeld. Yeah. <laughs> so I went in and met with her, and the beautiful thing about it, which is a really good, I think, metaphor for all things Herrera, is we spent the first five minutes actually talking about the job and talking about design and, and the company and the remainder of the hour together talking about life and talking about the TV shows we're watching, the books we're reading, our dogs, um, our families, you know, the flowers on her table. And 
you know, what she represents and what the house represents and what I aspire to maintain is this belief that a dress can just be a beautiful dress and that life can be bigger and that, you know, the more you love life and live a full life, the more you bring to the table as a designer. What's the best advice she's given you? So, you know, we don't talk about fashion when I see her. She won't. She doesn't want to talk about work. She doesn't want to talk about fashion. But the few moments she's given me advice, okay, as she said to me, the, sometimes the most rebellious thing you can do is to be elegant. Ah, love. Right? How would you describe the her wear aesthetic if anyone's not familiar? So when you're a, a new creative director going to a house, especially a heritage house like this, you have to kind of wrestle with the existential question of, who am I? Who is this house? And what am I going to bring to this house? And when I got off the elevator, it became very immediately clear to me because right in front of the elevator was the war hall of Mrs. Herrera, which is a late 70s war hall of, you know, her, her head, shoulders up, blonde hair, big earrings, big red lips, fabulous one-shoulder dress, and all the war hall kind of technicolor tones. And that to me is Herrera. That's what Herrera should be. Like that is this hmm. boldness, this glamour. You know, it's, it's, it's a woman who's getting dressed for her own joy. You know, when everyone's on, on the sidewalk is wearing, like, oatmeal and gray, she's in head-to-toe hot pink or leopard. Is there anyone that you would like to dress Anyone that you I would like to dress? dressed already? The celebrity questions are hard always because right. I'm, my real answer for that, the most exciting thing is to see a woman who's a 100% stranger at a party yeah, or that is cool. that at a restaurant cool. or walking down the sidewalk wearing a piece that I've done. Like that, I get more genuinely excited about that than seeing, you know, someone, a, a celebrity in a piece. Because I know that in a world of 10,000 options, she decided to get that one piece and wear it. I remember walking down Madison Avenue a couple years ago, and I knew from walking past the Herrera store in the window, they had a West designed an amazing bug cardigan. Oh, yeah. And I saw this gorgeous, super chic woman walking wearing the cardigan. I was like, oh, that's the Herrera cardigan I love. And then I realized it was Wes's mom, <laughs> who's like the best <laughs> model ever. <laughs> I, probably just, I probably told her that day just to like walk back yeah, up and exactly. forth in front of the store. Um, <laughs> no, I started doing these cardigans because I, I just – I wanted everything we do to be – I'm also – I've become so aware of – and it just dominates my thoughts at work all the time, just how much stuff there is in the world and how um, – I sometimes think we don't respect the act of making something new enough, right? Because those things are going to last a long time and we should make sure everything we're doing is something with purpose and is beautiful, right? And not disposable. Um, So at the time we had, you know, you're given a merchandising sheet and you have to make X things, right? Right. So cardigans. I'm like, we're just going to do basic. If we're going to do a cardigan. So I started putting silly things on them just early on. I love it. And it became a category in our merchandising team. They're called conversation cardigans, actually. Oh, cute. Came up with a good alliteration title for them. Oh, my gosh. I'm obsessed with a conversation Uh, cardigan. A conversation cardigan. Did you know there was such a thing? No. Now I want a lot of them. Yep. as if I have trouble conversing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you like, when you hit that, like, when you just run out of things to say, you can always bring it back to back to your the bugs. <laughs> um, no, but it's just this idea that they're they're pieces that are meant to be remembered and enjoyed. We have, I would say, one of the last kind of real, true couture-like ateliers um, in America is the Herrera workroom on, on in our offices. We have you know, It's really been, incredible. I have never incredible. been in a place like that in New York. It's magical. And and I think all the time of people walking down on Seventh Avenue visiting Times Square have no idea that sixteen floors above their heads 
is a workroom of men and women in white coats, mm -hmm. hand sewing and creating wow. flowers and tailoring and pressing beautiful fabrics. It's magical. It's the most exciting thing about my job that I get to have access to their tremendous talent. And, you know, it, it's so I get to make sure and I get to have the opportunity and the responsibility to make sure that everything we're making is something that really celebrates their skills and their craft. So we uh, are also speaking to or spoke to Lauren Santa Domingo this week, and we are asking her about okay. her, like, summer hostess gifts um. and what – and sort of her etiquette because she's sort of a, you know, a known hostess, but so uh -huh. are you. And so I was sort I'm of known, curious uh. – you're a known hostess. <laughs> I'm, not. I'm, I'm curious. If someone comes to stay with you, what's okay. the dream gift they can bring you? Okay. The dream gift they can bring us actually is something perishable. Mm. Um, Seafood flowers, or flute flowers. Food. I, I've become like very curated about all the like things in my life. I try yeah. to be. I've cycled out so many things anymore. I just really want to have the things around me that I love and cherish mm. and that I think are beautiful. So someone just bringing something that like just more chotch into my life is like not necessarily okay. what I want, right? Mm, yeah, like it's yeah. it's. No, I appreciate a perishable. Right. I, like, I, yeah. Bring a beautiful. A comestible. Doesn't a box have to of be your perishable. favorite pastries or just something yeah. that's a gesture, and you don't need to bring anything, honestly. But I want to hear about your secret, uh, any, like, hostessing <laughs> secrets. Hostessing secrets? What do I have about hosting secrets? Well, um, personally, the one thing I'm thinking about is your genius thing of rolling your tablecloths. Oh, my God. Oh, like that rolling kind of stuff. Rolling tablecloths. Yeah. Okay, but they have creases. But, okay, but, like, oh that's not God. hostessing secrets. That's me being crazy. So well, I don't that's like— that's from Martha, No. Not really. I okay. Mean, maybe. Well, it's. I think it's very smart. I think you're cracked a case here. Uh, so I don't like lines and tablecloths. <laughs> Some people actually like them. You know, it's maybe it's unchic of me to not I, like I the lines. I don't mind them because it feels like oh, it's just fresh out of the the you know laundry closet. Out of the presser. But yeah. so now I keep all of ours, they're ironed and then rolled onto these wooden Fabulous. dowels it's and they're great. on a wall and so I can see. Oh my God. Um, okay, that's, that's another that's level. That's not like a good yeah. hostessing secret. That's me, like that's a, like a window into my like OCD crazy. <laughs> What's the um, secret to a great summer dinner party? A great summer dinner party is, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, again, in the same way we were talking about earlier, I can bring it all back to the collection again. Yeah, great. Um, this idea of challenging the notion of what is fancy and what is casual, what is dressy and what is relaxed. And I think what's really important now about a dinner party or a party is an informal spirit and energy and attitude. Best flower. I always, so, so right when you get off the elevator in our house, I keep a vase of lilies always because I like the smell. Mm. And this is such a weird thing, but I want our kids to grow up with a smell that reminds them of home. Oh, yeah. so sweet. So for the rest of their lives, I want them to have like this Proustian moment where they smell lilies. Oh, and, I love oh, that. That's yeah. That was great. It was okay, fun. thank you so much for having I'm me. This for is your so trip. fun. I'm excited. Yeah, for I think it's going to be super fun. The run through will be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. 
Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to the run through with Vogue. And now, one of the best dressed women in New York City, Lauren Santa Domingo, joined us in the studio. Yeah, Lauren Santa Domingo, who founded uh, Mode Operandi and um, who is also the artistic director of Tiffany Home Collection. Newly. Newly appointed. Newly, newly appointed. appointed. Um, yeah, can't wait to see what plates are going to come out of there. Me too. <laughs> Who are you, Lauren? Ha- okay. <laughs> um, I am Lauren Santa Domingo, former Vogue market editor, um, currently Moda Operandi chief brand officer, and artistic director for Tiffany & Co., home and accessories congratulations thank you it's really fun we were curious if you have a devil's wear prada story that you could remember and now in retrospect would be like a scott rudin get you canceled moment so (laughs) i think there was one we were shooting nicole kidman for the cover i think it was the moulin rouge era yeah and so um it it could have been post 9-11 when suddenly getting uh, packages into the building became really difficult, and you couldn't just meet the messenger. So, And this was up at Four Times Square. Yeah, Four Times Square. So a lot of us market editors started sending things to our apartments because it was a lot oh, easier. Wow. And then we could also justify the car service to the office. <laughs> oh, smart, smart, Yeah, smart. so it was like a you know big Ponzi scheme. <laughs> and I had a Versace dress sent to my house, and I guess there was two sort of squashed into um, two squashed into this big FedEx box. And I had taken the first one out, and there was some tissue paper. And oh, no. it felt light. It oh, felt no. felt empty. I know where this is going. So I threw it in the fire chute, which is a um, the, the burning, what's it called? The, oh, God, an incinerator. An incinerator. <laughs> so I get to the office. I call KCD. <laughs> And was like, you know, Versace, uh, you know, I realized only one dress arrived. I'm like, guys, you, you know, you only sent one dress. And they're like, oh, no, it was in there. 
I ended up calling my super, and they had pulled it out of the— Yeah. Someone oh, had, wow. So they had pulled it out of the incinerator— and, because um, they just happened to know it was in there? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe God loves me. Wow. <laughs> but Perhaps. it didn't, so it didn't get. It, so I, so I ended up, lucky. I'm like, meet me downstairs. I'm like, I, I will pay whoever I need wow. to. Wow. You had a fashion guardian angel. Yeah. And got it, you know, got it upstairs. <laughs> and um, and that was it. Smelled like ash. Oh. I mean, like garbage. <laughs> that kind of stress is why I could yeah. never be a yeah. mock editor. I just, <laughs> oh, my God. No. I loved it. I or an ER doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. You know, my dad actually told me. He gave me really good advice. Um, when I first started, I was I, I couldn't believe. I, one of the, one of the uh, editors, I, I won't name who, started crying because a certain look was not available. Oh, and she sank... To the ground, against the wall, started sucking her thumb and crying. Oh, my God. And I said something to my father, like, these people are ridiculous. And he said, listen, he's like, listen, you you work at Vogue. You you have to imagine that each look that you're getting, each piece of clothing that you're getting, it's like a heart transplant. And that's the organ. And you got to get it from point A to point B. And it it really, it worked. And it was, I mean, if not more important than a life-saving organ, right? Mark Jacobs looked 39. Wow. Yeah. It was fun. You know, we obviously know you've famous for being an amazing hostess. I'm personally so afraid of it. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. I never do it. Yeah, there's so m- I don't know why, but there's so much like uh, sensitivity and and you know this idea of etiquette and mm. and and being proper and and doing things right and wrong. It's one of and- the last remaining areas where there really is a, a rule book or yeah. people think there, there is. Pe- well, that's it. People think there is. And I remember being incredibly intimidated um and then now having felt that I've Conquered, um, conquered it, <laughs> yeah. and have a you know a really comfortable um, uh, relationship with entertaining. But it took me a while to get there. You know, I definitely grew up in that in that era where you know having the you know the, the glass and the right can. I mean, all of that stuff was so fraught. Um, what I, rules have you discarded? Well, you know, I remember when I first moved to New York, I had somehow gotten invited to, I think it was Albert Ibaz had just presented a new collection for Saint Laurent at okay. the, at the uh-huh. Saint Laurent Boutique at, on Madison Avenue. I somehow got invited um, last minute and was sitting around at this luncheon with a bunch of uh, shall remain nameless, um, you know, 90s socialites and again, somehow ended up being seated with them and they were all <laughs> aghast that a story had just run in vogue about a fellow socialite, and on her dining table were colored candles, candlesticks. Oh, is that so that's, and that's so funny. And they were horrified. <laughs> I mean, horrified. <laughs> and I just sat there like, no. The candles so, or the candlesticks? The stick? candlesticks. They were, they were blue candles. Whoa. Blue wax candles. Okay, wow. Interesting. And, it, I mean, it was like the horror so I think what we're doing at Tiffany is I want to make sure that anything we put on the table, it, it's it's foolproof. I mean, still on the topic of hostess rules, I feel like people loved the New York Magazine etiquette guide in oh, February yeah, and got such a kick out of everyone's rules and sharing that. And the uh, Internet had a mild heart attack, mild heart attack that you let people smoke inside your house and keep their shoes on. Yeah. Has that always been the case for you? You know, I think that's another thing that I picked up at a dinner party one day is someone was like, and can you believe they made us take off our 
shoes and couldn't smoke, and why don't they just entertain in a restaurant um, if they don't want people in their house? And it was just one of those, like, okay, note to self. <laughs> Never. I think it was just one of those. I always think of the the Sex in the City where she loses her shoes, her Manolos, yeah. when she has to take them oh off at God. a dinner party. And it is sort of that panic. I once went to a book party at someone's house and they asked, they actually sent a reminder addendum to the paperless post saying, we will be asking you to take off your shoes, so plan your socks accordingly. Which I respect that. Totally. Which I respect that. But also, then, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I always end up with a hole in my sock or... I know. It's just just an extra thing. I know. I was once asked to, I was once at someone's house in Paris, um, a very famous rock star that his name will remain nameless. <laughs> and um, you would think he's like a wild rock star. He's known for being quite extravagant. And we went inside his house and he only served uh, a clear liquid. Um, oh, because so because it's not uh, to stain the... Yes. And then we had to take our shoes off. It was February during Fashion Week, as one could imagine, late February. Oh, and then God. when we we would when we were um, when we wanted to smoke, we would have to go outside in the garden barefoot, barefoot. Oh my God, smoking. No. Yes, and I think it was at that moment where I thought, don't have people over. So <laughs> I kind of I think it was sort of in, wow. a, in a violent reaction to that. Yes, where I'm like, I never want to be the person that is if someone wants to take their shoes off. By all means, I'm most of the times not wearing shoes and people will kick them off all the time. But if someone wants to keep wearing them, I, I certainly will not stop them. And I do. I let people smoke. I try to encourage them to do it outside on the, you know, out the window or something like that. And a lot of people, even if I tell them to smoke, they'll insist on going outdoors. Right. As someone who... um doesn't host very often, but is often invited to other people's homes. Yeah. I'm the gift question. What to bring? You know, what is the what are the best things to bring when you're going to? Well, according to Lauren, not a candle. Yes, yeah. I, I don't like can I don't like um, scented candles. That nothing says I don't care like a candle. <laughs> I actually don't do any gifts. I will send flowers afterwards. Oh, that's nice. If I remember, which okay. I usually don't. It's got to be a memorable party, though. Yeah, I usually don't. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. What's a nice gift someone brings? Um, I mean, I love, like, a nice coffee table book or, you know, if anything, someone, um, you know, a book they had just read, something that has some sort of meaning. Right. If it feels obligatory, right. I will be I will be like, I can't believe you thought, you know, right. I, I hate to think that someone would go— out of their way to scramble to get something before they came. And, I mean, maybe I'm terribly rude. I probably am. Um, Well, this makes me feel better. But I don't, (laughs) even if I'm going on, like, a weekend trip to someone's house, again, I'll send flowers after. I don't bring a— Oh, interesting. I do not bring a I stress about that. I I would probably bring, like, multiple different things, like food and wine and this. I I like bringing something afterwards because then you've spent the weekend with someone. Yeah. You know, like, what their kid likes or whatever, and then you can send something. Do you— change the meal you're serving now that everyone's on Ozempic? Because the New York Post had a great article yeah. about how all these Upper East Side restaurants are now doing like Ozempic portions where no, they're doing half it. portions. I just think yeah. this has gotten out of control. Me too, but I'm happy to not have half the food wasted. But I think everything mm. was too big to begin with. Sure. So right. I'm okay. more than happy if they're doing normal sized food. But I hate it when it's so tiny. I don't, I don't want, it needs to I be want it. normal. It needs to be normal, normal size. Have you noticed people eating less when you have them over? 
Um, I mean, I can't say that I've noticed, but I, I mean, I know everyone who's on, on Ozempic, and basically everyone is on Ozempic. Um, it's alarming. It's alarming. Are the people you know who are on it going to be on it for the rest of their lives? or Because I want to know stories yes. about people who have tried going off of it, because that seems hard. So whenever <sighs> I ask that question, I said, well, what happens when you go off yeah. of it? The answer is always, well, why would I go off of it? Uh. Wow. I mean, why? I, I fair. We'll see. But yeah, TBD. Yeah, TBD. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of effort. Uh, or it's the opposite. Normally, it would be a right. lot of effort to watch what you <laughs> eat and to you know take care of oneself. This is actually a lot less effort. Can you tell us about your Can red carpet viewing experience? This year? I'm obsessed with Cannes. I can't get enough of it. I know. It's so fun. It's so fun. Also, it's like— It's the last real glamour left. Yeah. And I like it. It's much more editorial, whereas our Oscars are much more commercial. It's so— Yeah. No risks are taken. And I like that there's a mix, that there is celebrities, directors, models, royals, Mm. um, fashion girls, influencers. It's just a nice nice mix. Favorites? Let's see. I think Anya Rubik, who's been—she's just a friend of Anthony Vaccarello at at Saint Laurent. Oh, she was wearing a smoking— Oh, my God. She just had, like, five looks. She did one— I'm going to have to Google that. I mean, she's heaven. Yeah. She's heaven. She's perfect. Um, Actually, Saint Laurent had a lot of really great— Didn't Iris Law wear Saint Laurent? I think—or was that Stella? Iris Law always looks good, too. She looked really good. Remember how Anne Hathaway yeah, had that, Anna-sance. like, Anna-sance, exactly. <laughs> so I think this year Brie— um, Oh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson did it. Did was you like amazing. the Chanel? I lo- okay, so the Chanel gold, yeah. where it was this, like, gold beaded vest with a gold uh, chiffon yeah. underneath. I thought it was magic. I thought she sparkled. And she did a lot of Chanel um, this, this week. She Chanel, like, a lace cat suit that was yes, kind of amazing. Yes, on the first day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I missed Yeah, on the first day. And another one where she was wearing, like, a little a black um, chiffon dress and a bow in her hair, mm-hmm. which, you oh, know. so Chanel. I yeah, which was great. Apparently there's this whole firestorm around the fact that um, Lily Rose, Rose Depp, Depp was, was smoking. smoking in a vintage dress. But we're not sure if it was the original. It was an original. It was. She was oh. walking out of her hotel, which I think was a hotel that her father and Kate Moss had once trashed. Wow. And like, uh, you know, so it was very fitting and she was smoking. Full and circle moment. Before she got in the car, she she dropped it. But I think that's, you know, Cannes was for me, I think, my first fashion moment. I remember seeing Kate Moss in that gray Narciso wow. sheath dress. And I had what re- year? I must have been like ninety eight. Okay. And um, I had been reading. I think everyone knew at that time there were stories of Kate Moss and Johnny Depp, and they were trashing hotel rooms, throwing TVs out of windows, and getting in these raucous fights, and just oh. you know generally misbehaving. What a love story! It Glamour. was fantastic. <laughs> and they were, you know, and then they showed up at Cannes, and I remember, and and I think that's when something clicked for me: this transformative power of fashion. Where mm. I thought to myself, you know what, I can do. Anything, so long as I look okay. <laughs> and I sort of like, like took it as my, as my, you know, as my mantra. You know, you can just, you can really get away anything so long as you look good doing it. I love that Kate inspired that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's still a force. Yeah, she is a force. And Lily Rose Depp looked uh, definitely amazing. I mean, yeah, I really loved did. that. Yeah, I really loved great. That. Do you mm-hmm. shop for an occasion, or do you just buy the dress and the occasion comes later? Because I don't like to. I don't like to have to buy a dress for an occasion. I like the dress to exist in my closet. So I think I realized that I I get dressed simply to justify 
my shopping. That I enjoy <laughs> shopping more than I enjoy getting dressed up or going out. Also, I don't like to waste a dress on right. people that don't, don't appreciate, appreciate it. Mm, that I can. I can so if I'm going to a wedding with you know all my friends, but are civilians, not fashion <laughs> professionals, like I'm not gonna. I'll pull something old from my closet that I, you know, it's a couple of years old. <laughs> I, but I'm a I'm a big uh, rewearer. I love to hear that. Yeah. I think we need to normalize rewearing because yeah. it, it, it's gone out of control. If I love something, yeah, I want to wear it all the time. Me too. All the time. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. This was so fun. Thank this, you. We had a lot a lot of fun. That's it for this episode of the Run Through. The Run Through Evoke is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and Kevin Burasa, and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.